podcast one production. Hello, welcome to my series, Koshy's Property Ladder, focused on getting you on the property merry-go-round, either as an owner or as an investor. I'm David Kosh, and I'm passionate about people and their money. I want to help you get on the property ladder and stay there. Throughout this series, I'll focus on just one topic. You guessed it, property. Each episode will focus on different aspects of the property market, from how to buy for the best price, to how to sell for top dollar, to how to be an investor, and how to grow your wealth through property. But first, property is just one investment opportunity among many alternatives. There's shares, fixed interest, commodities, and so on. There are lots of investment options for your money. So how does property stack up against all the other options? Well, when it comes to investing, everything runs in a cycle. There will always be ups and downs, and you need to remember that as much as we would love them to, booms never last forever, but luckily neither the bus. So the secret to investing is understanding where we are in a cycle and then taking advantage of the best opportunities. So listen up. In Australia, we seem to have a love affair with property. You'll often hear from friends and relatives, invest in bricks and mortar because it'll never go down. Let me tell you, that advice is downright wrong and dangerous. Over recent years, there have been falls in residential property across most parts of Australia. Some of those markets have rebounded, but others haven't. So in the short term, residential property as an investment has had mixed results, to say the least. As we all know, though, property investing is a medium to long-term investment. It isn't a get-in-quick and get-out-quick sort of investment. According to the Russell ASX Long-Term Investing Report, investing in property has been a better long-term performer than investing in Australian shares. Based on a 10-year return for someone on the highest marginal tax rate, the annual return from shares was 2.6%. For property it was 5.1%. If we look at the 20-year after-tax return, Australian shares delivered 6.7% a year, property was 7.6%. But if you compare shares and property performance based on gearing or borrowing of, say, 50% of the investment at the top marginal tax rate, property does fare a bit better. That's because the Aussie share market has performed relatively poorly over the last 10 years. It still hasn't traded above its previous all-time high back in 2007. That was before the global financial crisis. It's got close to it a couple of times, but then has retreated back. Hopefully, I haven't lost you with all those figures, but I wanted to emphasise that property is a long-term investment it does have its ups and downs, and both property and shares have been pretty similar 
when it comes to returns. So it's a matter of balance and having the right mix of investments which suit your goals, your appetite for risk and stage of life. That's the critical bit. I'm not saying shares are better than property or vice versa. They're both terrific places to build wealth and every portfolio should have the right balance of quality shares and property assets. Just don't get swept up by the emotion of the day and overdo one or the other. And it's always good to remember the differences between them. So I'll give you a quick overview. You can invest in shares with just a couple of thousand dollars, but you'll need tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a direct investment in residential property and often have to have a big mortgage with it. Shares are valued every day on the share market. A property is really only ever valued when it's sold, and that could be every seven to 10 years. The cost of investing in shares is relatively small and often a flat fee. But with property, you also need to consider the legal fees, insurance, stamp duty, and council rates, which could all stack up. And you can sell shares pretty quickly on the share market, but selling a property can take weeks or even months. You see, they are very different investments that have very different time periods associated with them. And when assessing performance of both shares and property, it's not just their price movements which count. Many shares pay dividends, which is your portion of the company's profits. And if you're a property investor, rather than living in it, tenants will pay your rent. So both shares and property are a lot more than just movement in their prices. Now, I've said this before, I often get criticised for saying it, but I'm going to say it again because I believe it. Maybe the great Australian dream does not make financial sense. And I'm going to step you through what makes me say this. The rise in people unable to afford property because of strongly rising prices has been a critical issue for a number of years, particularly among young Aussies wanting to buy a first home and get on the property bandwagon. So maybe the solution is don't buy, but rent instead, just for now. I've spoken about this before, and it really is something worth considering. But, and this comes with a really big but, this move needs discipline to work investment-wise. Let's go through an example. Rental growth in property is now near its lowest level on record, with average rents inching up to $450 a week or $1,958 a month across our combined capital cities. Against an average capital city property purchase price of $650,000. Even a novice buyer will suspect maybe there's a gap between rents and mortgage repayments, and they'd be right. Running those numbers through a mortgage calculator, assuming a mortgage interest rate of, say, four and a quarter percent, monthly repayments on the average property 
will be $2,361. So mortgage repayments will be $403 more per month than renting the same property. That's over $4,800 a year before adding council rates, insurance, and the huge costs of buying the property, like stamp duty and legal fees. Of course, buyers build up equity in the property as they pay off their loan, which can make up for higher monthly costs. But in the short term, depending on the area you live in, a lot of people are better off renting right now. But, and this is that big but I was talking about earlier, renting is only a better financial decision if you invest that $403 monthly difference between the cost of renting and the repayments of the loan from buying. If you blow the money you've saved from renting instead of investing it, then you'd be better off servicing a mortgage and having an asset to show at the end of the day. Think of it as divorce savings. So if you do have that financial self-control, then renting could be a better option. Not just because of the greater financial burden of having a mortgage compared to a lease in the current market, but also because of the less tangible benefits. The opportunity cost of a mortgage is significant. By that I mean that having a lot of your money tied up in a mortgage means that you don't have it to invest in other opportunities, like investing in a business or buying shares or funding further education. Renting also provides greater flexibility to move for work, upsize your digs for a growing family and move around to find a neighbourhood that fits your lifestyle better. There's also diversification to consider. Often people are so stretched in affording a deposit on a house that they end up with all their savings in one spot, their property. This can be a pretty risky investment strategy because if property prices fall in your area, so does your wealth. Smart investors reduce this risk by spreading their investments across different assets like shares, bonds, and of course property. So that if one market falls, there's a greater chance those falls will be compensated by gains in their other investments. So really whether renting in the short term is right for you, all boils down to your self-discipline to use any savings to invest elsewhere. But remember that all these calculations are region-specific. Every region is different, so it's always worth doing the sums. When you do invest in property, your timing can be absolutely critical. Obviously, buying at the bottom of the market ahead of potential rising values is a way better than buying at the top of the market ahead of a downturn in values. Conventional wisdom is that residential property follows a seven to 10 year cycle between peaks. Within those cycles, are the usual value, growth, peak, and correction phases. But unlike other general asset classes, property is so segmented that individual residential property blocks can have a different cycle 
to, say, a surrounding suburb or a city or a region. You need to identify where you are on a property cycle by following a fairly strict process of understanding the macro and micro elements affecting your decision. And unlike most other investment classes, a bottom-up approach in your investigations seems to be the way to go. That means identifying an individual property or a small region, assessing the local factors influencing it, and then layering more general or national influences on top. In other words, start local and then go global. In many areas, local influences can be as narrow as being on the right or the wrong side of the street or railway line when it comes to investment returns. Knowing those local idiosyncrasies can be just as crucial as the future of interest rates. New infrastructure like roads and rail lines can really boost or deflate values depending on your proximity and access. The release of new housing areas can also affect demand and supply and therefore prices. A building boom means more stock, which could dampen future price rises. Changing demographics within an area can either turn new buyers on or off and can narrow the appeal of properties. For example, buyers of some cultural backgrounds tend to be more comfortable with medium to high density properties. Some of the other things that can influence the investment performance of a property you're looking at are the condition of the property you buy. It can influence the risk of any future costs to rectify those problems. Modification costs can be pretty hefty, especially if they're unplanned, unexpected and unbudgeted. Make sure the property surveys and inspections are completed before signing on the dotted line. And look at how cities and regions vary. Every capital city and major regional centre has their own unique influences which affect their cycle. For example, Gold Coast goes through higher peaks and lower troughs than virtually any other property region. It's a real big boom and bust town. Perth's residential property market is influenced by the state's resources industry and its huge fly-in, fly-out mining population. The Sydney market is influenced by overseas migration numbers and the natural impediment of the Great Dividing Range on new land releases. Canberra is all about the public service. For example, it usually has a slowing housing market and rising vacancy rates if the federal government cuts spending by reducing the number of public service and consultancy jobs. Brisbane is influenced by local migration from people in southern states chasing the sun. Adelaide and Melbourne seem to be a bit more predictable and influenced by construction levels, how many properties are being built. Then there's economic indicators. Residential property tends to be a good barometer of the country's economic health. Maybe that's why, on a comparative global scale, Australian property prices 
are among the most expensive in the world because our economy pretty well sailed through the global financial crisis, whereas the US and European economies were smashed by the GFC and so were their residential property prices. So let's look at some of the important bigger economic indicators which affect property markets. Unemployment. The more people out of work, the less likely they are to be able to afford to buy or upscale. Interest rates are also a huge factor. The lower they are, the lower your loan repayments. It also gives you the ability to borrow more to trade up. A falling Australian dollar makes our property prices cheaper for expats and foreign buyers using other currencies. And the reverse is also true. Consumer confidence measures how optimistic we consumers are by measuring our spending habits. It's a major factor because property is a big ticket item. Low consumer confidence means buyers are less likely to take the risk of moving and more likely to stay put. Who really knows with any certainty what the future will hold when it comes to the property market? Most of Australia has been through its ups and downs over the last few years. The big thing is not being caught by a major downturn in values, especially if you've overextended yourself to buy. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode on how property stacks up as an investment. Aussies love their bricks and mortar, but right now might not be the time to buy and to rent instead. You have plenty of things to consider. Remember, if you do choose to rent, make sure you're putting the difference away for that home deposit in the future. And a smart investor will always have a combination of different types of investments across their portfolio. If you want to learn more, head to the Your Money and Your Life website. There are plenty of articles and some more hints. That's ymyl.com.au. Thanks for your company and good luck climbing the property ladder. Koshy's Property Ladder was presented by David Kosh and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Melody Ruiz. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Koshy's Property Ladder Podcast.